Good evening and welcome to episode 54 of the Private Property Podcast. I'm your host, Uzamantungwa Kumalo. It's the Friday edition of the show. I'm sure many of you are excited to get the weekend started, even though we're all going to be at home, uh, staying safe, making sure that we are, you know, doing our best not to be out and about unnecessarily. But of course, we are talking all things property. And this evening, we're exploring the community schemes ombuds services. You probably might not even know what they are, but if you're living a community scheme then they certainly do affect you in one way or another and to help us better understand firstly what they even are what their services are how we can even utilize their services this evening i'm joined by zelinda van amargo who's the co-founder and director at tvdm consultants before we get to our conversation we will of course be giving away that five thousand rand prize later on in the show so you do not want to miss it that is of course towards the tail end of the show we will be giving away that money we are however also still running that 1,000 Rand competition. And all you have to do to stand a chance of winning one of two 1,000 Rand cash prizes is to tell us what your property dreams, goals, and ambitions are. You all have to do is just share them down below, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, or even Instagram, um, or even actually our, our YouTube page, because I know some of you are watching us on YouTube. Share them down below and you stand a chance of winning one of those two 1,000 Rand cash prizes. We'll be announcing the winner right here, live on air next week, Friday. Friday. But we are, of course, talking all things community schemes. Linda, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you very much for having me. I look forward to the conversation this evening. Um, I think before we even look at, you know, what community scheme ombuds is, what their services are, perhaps let's look at what a community scheme is. Because I think we mustn't take it for granted that some of us might be living, you know, in, in, in complexes or states that are run by community schemes, but we're certainly not aware of what a community scheme actually is. Maybe you're getting that levy statement every month, but you, you're not really connecting the dots around this is what a community scheme is, and this is the function of living in a community scheme. 100%, that's a very good place to start. It's actually one of the first things that the Community Scheme Ombud Service Act deals with, and that's the definition of what a community scheme is. I mean, we all know what a block of flats is, so a body corporate or a sectional title scheme. It then goes further to homeowners associations, and homeowners associations can be common law or they can be nonprofit companies. Then we start looking at housing cooperative, share block schemes, although they're not as popular as they once were. Retirement developments can also be community schemes and there are various different ways in which retirement schemes are set up. So basically anywhere where there is shared resources, which is common property, shared facilities, where you have people living in quite close proximity to one another. Very often we look at a scheme and it looks like a homeowners association simply because it's, for example, a townhouse complex. And then we find out that it's actually a sectional title scheme or body corporates. So it doesn't necessarily mean if we're driving along the beach and there's a whole lot of high rise buildings, that that is the only form of body corporate or sectional title scheme out there. It does go further. And the way that we can identify it is by looking at its governance documents. You know, if it falls under the sectional title schemes management, Act, if it falls under the Companies Act, if it has a constitution or a memorandum or a set of rules, these are the identifying features. But they are very different uh, forms of community schemes. So it's important to understand, number one, which type you reside in, and more importantly, to recognize what the responsibilities and definition of that community scheme is. So then let's look at what the community scheme ombuds 
um, actually is. Because I'm sure, I mean, we have so many different types of governing bodies in the different things that we probably do, you know, from banking to, uh, you know, even within the property space, there are other ones. And I think so many of us probably don't even reach out to try and use some of their services because we either, A, don't know that they exist, we don't know the work that they do, and we don't know that we can access them when we are struggling with the particular thing that we are facing at that time. What exactly is the community scheme on it? So the Community Schemes Ombud Service, or CSOS, have been around since October 2016, when the legislation was officially promulgated, the Community Schemes Ombud Service Act, which happened at the same time as the Sectional Title Schemes Management Act. That being said, they've been around for a lot longer than that, simply, you know, in its formation stage and uh, dealing with the, the, the legislation, setting the legislation up, the legislation obviously having been in progress since 2010, 2011, if not earlier. The Community Scheme Ombud Service was set up to to deal with all forms of community schemes. Very often we find that uh, in a community scheme, there's not many options for us to, to deal with perhaps rule enforcement or dispute resolution. Our South African sectional title legislation has very often been uh, referred to as a piece of toothless legislation. In other words, something where we have you know, a whole lot of rules, which we spoke about last time, but not many enforcement mechanisms, which obviously lead to disputes. And previously under the old sectional titles act, if the body corporate and owners or if owners amongst themselves had disputes, they had to institute sometimes quite lengthy and expensive proceedings, either through arbitration or alternatively through the court system. The same would be said for a homeowners association or a share block scheme or retirement development. Normally arbitration was the route to go first mediation and then arbitration, which unfortunately wasn't as quick and um, less expensive as what it should have been or necessarily intended to be. That's why the community scheme on the service was, uh, was set up. It was to deal with and to serve all community schemes across the country. And very often I still consult with clients, be it trustees or owners that don't know of the existence of the community scheme on the service quite interestingly. But every single community scheme has to be registered with the community scheme on the service. Every single scheme with individual levies of more than 500 Grand have to contribute um, on a monthly basis and then pay over on every three months or, or quarterly basis to the community scheme on the service, um, you know, a fee or, or a levy towards the, the upkeep and running of the community scheme on the service. When your rules change in a body corporate, it has to go to the community scheme on the service. When you have a dispute in your community scheme, be it an owner, a tenant, the trustees, trustees against owners, owners amongst themselves, against the managing agent even, it goes to the community scheme on the service. So no longer the courts, unless the matter is not one that can be dealt with by the community scheme on the service or is urgent, then it has to go to the community scheme on the service. So the first and foremost um, goal of the community scheme on the service is to form a dispute resolution tribunal, basically, for community schemes. And the Community Scheme Ombud Service Act sets out a list of different prayers of relief. So in other words, the different categories of issues in community schemes that they deal with. If it relates to you know, a dog that has been kept on the, on, in the scheme against the trustee's uh, approval or authority or have breached conditions, or if it's somebody undertaking illegal renovations and alterations, you know, somebody that hasn't been paying their 
levies. These are the types of things that go to the community scheme on good service. It's very rare when a situation does not fall within one of the particular orders that the community schemes on good service can grant. And right at the end of the list under section 39 of the community scheme on good service act is a nice little catch all provision about the chief ombud making a directive as to any other types of matters of the community scheme of the service can deal with. So that is the type of thing that the community scheme of the service deals with. They also are the custodians of body corporate rules, management rules and conduct rules. When they're amended, they review them, they approve them, they go back to the trustees and say they've got, you know, certain concerns or certain issues with some of the rules. Perhaps the rules are not reasonable, they're not constitutional, they're not enforceable. So these are the types of things um, that, they, that they look at for body corporates. For homeowners associations and other types of schemes, although they don't review the rules, they do give guidance, they do request a copy of the rules or the constitutions or memorandums along with the annual returns. And that, that means that they are the record keepers or custodians for this type of information. They also offer training to the industry, to who they call stakeholders, to owners, to trustees, to tenants, to managing agents, developers, attorneys. And very often they travel across the country, uh, their three offices being in Johannesburg, Cape Town and Durban, serving all the provinces. They engage with managing agents, engage with owners to form training sessions and, and opportunities to teach communities a lot more about community schemes. There's so much lack of knowledge out there, but so much information to impart. And the community scheme on the service is definitely doing its part in, in that. But I think they're definitely kept busy with all the disputes that happen in community schemes. We very often say that co-ownership is the mother of all disputes. And it's very, very true. And it's, it's actually, you know, one of those things you, you, when you look at how oftentimes perhaps we probably grew up living in individual homes, uh, you can already imagine some of the disputes you'd have with your family when it comes to certain things. Sometimes perhaps family members might want to perhaps put a back room or build a back room or extend the house in a particular way. And other members of the same household, you know, might have an issue. It's sometimes even difficult to try and resolve that as a family. I can imagine the moment we've got you know, 200, 500, sometimes even 1,000 families, families live, living in one yard and essentially having to try to coexist as much as possible, having to use the common areas as efficiently as possible, that there certainly are going to be people who don't abide by some of the rules. And, and I'm absolutely experienced that I live in, in, in a community scheme or in a property that's in a community scheme. And there are always challenges that you essentially face, whether it's, you know, things like noise. Um, luckily, we don't, we don't allow dogs in ours. It's only cats, thankfully. So we never have to deal with, you know, barking dogs or dogs wandering around. But there always are issues. So, you know, even people who want a cat, you need to apply to the body corporate in order for them to say, yes, you can actually get that cat. And oftentimes we're just not used to having so much of our behavior regulated like that. Um, and it's because it's just it's such a foreign concept, certainly to us. Of course, if you're watching us at home, we are taking your questions and comments. This evening, I'm joined by Zalinda van Amarva, who is the co-founder and director of TDDM Consultants. We are looking at you know, exploring the community scheme ombud services. And perhaps you've had a run-in with them, or you've certainly had some issues with you know, within your own community schemes. Do send them through, and Zalinda will be addressing them. Zalinda, we've got a question here from Vusi Raymond Nguenya, who asks, is there an age limit to be part of a body corporate? For most cases, it's always individuals who are mature in age. 
That is quite interesting. I also find very often that the majority of trustees are retirees. And, you know, I think the reason behind that is because if you're going to dedicate yourself to being a trustee, it does take up a lot of your time. And the more time you put into the body corporates management or the homeowners association management, whatever your scheme is, you know, the more time is required of you. Um, so it's basically like this endless pit and uh, the time is not, you know, paid for. You get compensated for disbursements, but uh, it's very rare that you get, actually get compensated for your time. And it's something that requires quite a high level of consent of your fellow members. So yes, it is very often the retirees that are um, on the, 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 the trustee committees or the boards of directors. And very often we joke and we say um, that the, these directors or trustees still have their like Coca-Cola company mentality. So in other words, their corporate mentalities. And that's the way they run to run the body corporates and homeowners associations as well. And, uh, you know, we were chatting earlier about um, how it's a younger generation buying into schemes and we think differently and we are okay with a bit of noise and we're okay with a little bit of barking dogs and roaming cats and all that fun stuff but perhaps other generations are not uh, that's why we've got retirement developments and people don't like to hear that either so you know different different strokes for different folks type of thing and uh, different schemes obviously have to accommodate and the rules need to accommodate uh, you know the different type of residents age groups interests you know if they're kids if they're no kids if pets are allowed if pets aren't allowed but no, there isn't an age limitation. Uh, interestingly enough, I, I've never actually been asked this question before, but one can imagine that if trustees can be held personally liable, um, which is unfortunately quite a scary concept, but it is a, a known fact that if we act fraudulently or in a, a gross negligent way, or grossly negligent way at least, we can be held personally liable for the decisions that we take or lack of decisions that we take. So one would then assume that you would need to at least be, you know, a legal age of majority. Um, you know, there, there is there is no such thing as having too little or too much time to be a trustee. One really needs to have a passion for it um, and very often unfortunately one becomes a trustee simply because you're motivated by a personal endeavor either your dog application wasn't granted or you you know you want to go up face to face with this director that's 90 years old in the shade or whatever it might be so very often it's a self-centered uh, reason for becoming a trustee but very often these trustees find that if they're going to be successful if they're going to be an asset and act in the best interest of their body corporates they need to almost like take off the hat that they're wearing about their personal interests and personal desires and really act to the benefit of the entire body corporate or the entire homeowners association. And I think, you know, one of the things, so I'm, I'm, I'm also a trustee in some of the, um, you know, blocks where I own. And I think something to, to bear in mind is you sometimes take on the responsibility because you also want to just take care of your own investment. Uh, when you have a better sense of how that particular block is being run, you know that the financials are strong, you know that... Um, whether the building or the lifts, whatever different services that are offered in that particular uh, you know, property or estate, when you know that they're being taken care of, it also puts your heart at ease because you know that your investment is taken care of. Because we've certainly seen a lot of different developments or blocks of flats where the, the location is great and sometimes even the, the, the rental price point or average is, is relatively good, but because it's not being adequately run, um, you know, the, the, the stage of the building or the stage of that particular state deteriorates quite drastically to the point where sometimes, I mean, I have a friend who, who stays in a community scheme and she was actually saying how they've had multiple bonds 
um, of people who wanted to buy her property being declined because the financials are in such bad state. And so you realize that when the body corporate or the managing agents don't adequately do their job, it also means that if you're a current owner, you now can't sell your particular property. Um, and it obviously does put you in quite a difficult position because you certainly want to move or some people certainly want to be buying into that um, you know, estate and they're unable to do so because the banks are like, this is actually too risky. It's, it's not being adequately run. We know that our investment or rather the money that we put in is not going to be well taken care of. So it's also just understanding as um, you know, consumers. So, I mean, certainly not all of us are going to be trustees, but as consumers, how important the role of the trustees essentially is. And as thankless of a job as it is, uh, it is something that does need to be done because at the end of the day, we're essentially all taking care of our respective investments. So, Linda, we're going to go for a quick break. And when we come back, I actually want us to chat a little bit about you know, the managing agent themselves, because I think some people probably don't quite understand the function of the managing agent, some of the things that they do, because you might perhaps have challenges with them. Um, and chances are you don't even understand where they fit into the grand scheme of things. So you have the, you know, the body corporate or the trustees, and then there are these managing agents and emails are being sent to different people. And you're not quite sure what the ecosystem looks like. And so certainly understanding what they do and which matters they um, you know, deal with. Because also know that trustees make certain decisions that are executed by the managing agent, as opposed to the managing agent dictating to the trustees about what needs to be done. We're gonna be back um, just shortly after this. And of course, later on in the show, we will be giving away that 5,000 Rand price. If you have any questions or comments, do send them through, we'll be addressing them. Maybe you've had an issue with your uh, you know, body corporate or the managing um, uh, agent, do send them through and Zelinda will be more than happy to address them. We'll be back just after this. tips for dealing with the bank. So perhaps you're renting in a property where it is run by a body corporate. Understanding the basic calculation, income minus expenses, and you want to be left with a positive income. It is a very tough game, not easy at all. To stay ahead of um, knowing exactly what what your clients need, what, what their teething issues are. Have a joint move-in inspection. But a lot of people that are coming into sectional title, homeowners associations are just like you described, first, not only first time homeowners, but first time owners and residents in community schemes. They get to see the perspective from the other side of the aisle. And I think that's a really important thing to do. It's a market that's estimated to, to, to be transacting at least 9 billion rent per year. So it's a huge market. In order to get there, you need to be able to build up your cash flow module needs to be sharp. Um, a, a quote comes to mind. The best time to buy a property was about 10 years ago. The next best time is now. Welcome back to episode 54 of the Private Property Podcast. I'm your host, Uzamantu Kumalo. This evening, I'm joined by Zelinda van Amarva, the co-founder and director of TVDM Consultants. And we're exploring the community uh, schemes on services. So you've probably never heard of them, 
even though you might be living in a community scheme and really unpacking some of the services that they have and the different ways that we can um, essentially tap into them in the event where, you know, there are certain things that we need to resolve um, and perhaps you're struggling to have it resolved with the particular body corporate or the community scheme that you are a member of. Now, as I remember before the show, I did say I actually want us to look at what the managing agent does because I think before you even go to trying to access the services of the community uh, schemes ombud, there would have been other things you would have done prior to each it reaching that level. And you would have tried to remedy the situation um, first within whether it's the you know body corporate or the homeowners association or the managing agent. And only when you probably are struggling with having your issue resolved, would you then seek the services of the um, community schemes on, but then we'll talk a little bit later on um, how people then access their services. Are they going still via the, you know, the managing agent or the body corporate that they are grieved by, or do they contact them directly? But before we get to that, what exactly, you know, is a managing agent and what do they do when we are living in community schemes? So you're quite right. That's definitely the process that needs to be followed. So the community scheme on service actually requires that any applicant prove that they've exhausted their internal remedies before making an application for dispute resolution, either through the process of conciliation and then adjudication or either or. And the managing agent does have a very big role to play in that regard as well. Now, my, my background is that I myself have been a managing agent and managed body corporates, uh, um, share block schemes, retirement developments, homeowners associations, and have very often been involved in a situation where, um, you know, the role that we've played has definitely assisted in a matter not going to the community scheme on the service but very often unfortunately applicants do not want to engage with the trustees and directors or even a fellow owner or the managing agent they sometimes their demands you know exceed what can be met or dealt with by a managing agent or the trustees and they do go to the community scheme on the service in any event even when a solution possibly was practically achievable if that internal remedy had been followed properly in, in the, you know, in due course and, and with, in good faith, more importantly. So the managing agent, you should rather ask, what does a managing agent not do? Because their list of responsibilities and functions is quite excessive, depending scheme on scheme and, uh, you know, management committee upon management committee. There are many different types of managing agents. Some of them offer a full service managing agency. So everything from administrative management and secretarial, financial and physical management as well. Very often, some other managing agents only offer administrative management or administrative and financial management. They don't maybe attend trustee meetings, don't attend general meetings, but generally, speaking managing agents pretty much do everything on behalf of the body corporate or homeowners association and work in conjunction with the um, executives that the community scheme on the service calls it um, of the trustees and directors as well as perhaps a building supervisor or building manager state manager ceo whatever the title might be on the on-site uh, management front so when it comes to a managing agent, you know, the contract at the end of the day, the management agreement that is entered into between the managing agent and the trustees and directors gives one a, a, a good impression of what the managing agents are responsible for. And under the sectional title schemes management act, it speaks about the functions and powers of the trustees being delegated to agents, including managing agents. Now, that delegation of that function and, uh, and power is not necessarily, as you mentioned, a decision making power that is very much reserved for the trustees and the directors are the ones that actually make the decisions. Agent very much, and you quite correctly put it as execute 
those decisions. However, they do guide and they do assist their trustees and directors as much as possible. I recently had a consultation with an owner and they said, surely it's the responsibility of the managing agent to give advice to the trustees and to almost force the trustees to do the right thing. But that's unfortunately not the case. We can huff and puff as much as we want as managing agents and make sure that it's minuted that we said, you know, the, that uh, the proverbial is going to hit the fan if X, Y, and Z is not followed. But if the trustees or directors choose to not follow that advice, then unfortunately, the managing agent still has to act on instructions. I know of managing agents that will rather walk away from a contract than do something potentially or actually in contravention of the legislation or in contravention of the governance documents. However, it's not very often that one as a managing agent wants to lose contracts because obviously your income is very much directly linked to the number of schemes that you manage. Um, and very often the smaller scheme causes, you know, the most headaches in regard to the amount of time that needs to be spent on it versus the bigger ones or the higher income earning properties. So a managing agent has to be very cautious when they, when they deal with these types of schemes. But managing agents deal with the correspondence from owners. They give advice and guidance to trustees and directors. When they're not able to do so, that advice and guidance obviously gets referred to, uh, excuse me, to specialists, attorneys. Um, you know, we were chatting before the show about uh, waterproofing projects. So managing agents can put the trustees into contact with contractors that they know have done a good job at certain schemes or would give them some advice against certain contractors if they've done not so good a job at a, at a scheme. You know, to assist the trustees in the preparation of budgets, uh, to put information together for annual financial um, reports, to call and deal with the administration behind general meetings, uh, special general meetings, annual general meetings, minute-taking, which is a secretarial function, financial management, collection of levies, and dealing with those proceedings up until handing it over to a levy collection attorney. So a managing agent's job is incredibly multifaceted. Very often in practice, we joke, and uh, as a managing agent, I joke more often that we're expected to be everything for everyone. So that is the uh, many, very often the trustees and directors of a scheme believe that that is the only scheme that you as a managing agent manage uh, business-wise that makes absolutely no sense. But in their eyes, they want you to be available, you know, two minutes after they send the email or to take every single telephone call and to deal with their issues, you know, above the issues of, of all else. You're expected to be the plumber, the electrician, um, and more importantly, sometimes the psychologist or the psychiatrist as well. But unfortunately, that all falls above and beyond the scope of a managing agent. Um, but simply put, it's those functions and responsibilities of trustees and directors that are delegated to managing agents to execute the decision making and more important, the, li the liability and responsibility behind those decision making or decisions taken definitely still rests on the trustees and the directors and the managing agent simply guides and assists where possible and when they actually are able to uh, within their skill set, qualifications, et cetera, et cetera. And Zalinda, then in the event where you've certainly been dealing with, you know, whether it's the managing agent, the body corporate, and you're still having difficulty in your issue being remedied, how do people then go about contacting the community scheme on that? 
It's a very simple process. If you go onto the Community Scheme Ombud Service website, you simply download an application form. It's an application for dispute resolution. It's a very simple form, four or five pages to complete. You can complete it online. They ask questions like, what is your name? What is your role in the scheme? Are you dealing with a body corporate, a homeowners association, or retirement development? Are you an owner, a trustee, a tenant, a managing agent? You know, your contact details, the contact details of the scheme. It asks you to set out um, the facts briefly so in other words what is the problem and they don't expect you to write like an attorney they simply want you to put um, your your issue or your story in writing to them uh, they'll ask you to attach documentation for example if your issue is regarding the the governance documentation of the scheme so then a copy of the rules the constitution or the memorandum if your issue is uh, levies perhaps or levy contributions how it's calculated you would attach a copy of the budget maybe a trustee resolution the annual financial statements your levy statements if you have an issue with any decisions that have been taken by the trustees or directors or the members you would attach the minutes of those meetings and then you would ask the um, Community Scheme Ombud Service for a certain prayer of relief. So in other words, what do you want? If it is a levy that you believe hasn't been calculated correctly, you're going to ask for the reconsideration of the calculation of that levy or perhaps a repayment of a levy. If you're a body corporate and you make an application against debtor, you would ask for the payment of the levy or the attachment of the rental of the unit if perhaps there's a tenant living in the unit. So you're going to be asking for what you want you know, it's, it's so simple to, to, to write it quite clearly and succinctly. And my advice to clients always is to less is more. So keep your, your, your story, um, I like to call it, in a, in a chronological order that if somebody reads that they're able to immediately understand exactly who you are, exactly who the party on the other side is, exactly what the issue is, and more importantly, exactly what you want out of it as well. And then you need to sign it off and date it as well. And then obviously attach all of that supporting information. And you can either hand deliver it, send it by post, fax, or email to the Community Scheme Ombud Service through a central email address that is specified on their website for every single jurisdiction. That application will then be reviewed um, by the Community Scheme Ombud Service to see whether or not it involves a community scheme, to see whether or not um, the parties are materially affected, um, have an interest in the scheme, to see whether or not their issue and the prayer is something that the Community Scheme Ombud Service can deal with. If it's not, they'll come back and advise that it's not a matter they can take on. If it is, they'll ask for an application fee to be paid. That application fee is a whopping 50 rand, which is obviously why the Community Scheme Ombud Service is as busy as what they are. But again, the Community Scheme Ombud Service is funded by that 2% above 500 rand levies of every single community scheme payer or levy payer in the country. So that's why the, the fees for applications are quite as low as what they are. Once that uh, matter has been accepted, the Community Scheme Ombud Service will send the application to the other side. So the other party who's called the respondent, and that can be the body corporates if the applicant is an owner, for example, or a group of owners if, for example, the applicant is a body corporate or the homeowners association or whatever community scheme it might be that party will then have an opportunity to review that application and respond so they can then say oh this applicant is talking absolute nonsense that's not what happened at all and he has all the documents to prove that they're talking absolutely nonsense or they can say you know wow that's something that i hadn't seen before yes but perhaps we should look at x y and z i'm making it very simple obviously and yeah. then the applicant will have another opportunity to have a look at that respondent's reply 
there and then obviously go back to the community scheme ombud service with further information if needed um, and then additional supporting documentation now that doesn't need to be very comprehensive we, we're not we're not quite yet going to trial, um, as we say. So you can simply just deny the allegations that are made or you can um, agree or you can add to it, um, but it doesn't have to be too comprehensive at this point in time. If the matter is something that the Community Scheme Ombud Service uh, believes can be resolved through a process of conciliation, or should they feel that perhaps the internal remedies weren't followed uh, to conclusion or that there's still an, op an opportunity to resolve it through this type of means, the community scheme of service will refer it first to conciliation. And that conciliation will happen um, at the moment over the telephone or, or remotely. It's not something that is being dealt with face-to-face uh, -face at the moment during the lockdown um, at times, but very often it happens face-to-face -face in the offices of the CSOS alternatively over the telephone. Um, so it all depends really when that application is made. If the parties are able to resolve a dispute at conciliation, the conciliator will prepare a settlement agreement for both parties to sign and agree to. If that settlement agreement is not abided by, any one of the parties can once again institute the proceedings and pick up from where they left off or make that settlement agreement an adjudication order. If no uh, resolution is met at conciliation, the matter gets referred to adjudication and the applicant has an opportunity to decide whether or not they want to continue. That adjudication process is a bit more formal, but not as formal as court in the slightest. The parties will have a further opportunity to put more information forward. The adjudicator through the investigator of the CSOS may require further information. Uh, they may require the investigation on site, like an institute inspection. Um, or they may require evidence to be given. So perhaps in a waterproofing uh, matter like we spoke about earlier, they could ask, for example, for a contractor to become involved to give evidence on a matter or give information or clarify a point. That adjudication proceeding can be as short as two hours or as long as a couple of days. It all depends on the matter. Once that adjudication has been dealt with, the adjudicator has the option to ask for further information or submissions, heads of argument, it's sometimes called written submissions. Then they'll consider it all and make an order. That order of the adjudicator is final and binding. It cannot be reviewed and it can only be taken on appeal to court if there is an error in law. So if the adjudicator has made a mistake in law, not if the parties don't agree to it or if they feel um, aggrieved by it, they simply don't want to comply to it. Um, that's not how it works. So it is it is quite a, a streamlined process and yeah. especially under the lockdown uh, provisions or, or times that we're facing, the process is a lot quicker um, simply because the matter can be dealt with on the papers um, or over the telephone as opposed to arranging dates and times when people are available and all that fun stuff. Um, but it's very much served for individuals to be able to represent themselves. Um, very often they need a little bit of legal guidance before and during the proceedings. Sometimes they need the attorneys to go with them to hold their hand or to, to you, know, in, you know, take part in the fist fight if the fist fight has to happen. But generally yeah. speaking, the community scheme on the service once the party is most directly affected to sit around a table together either physically or proverbially and actually come to a resolution which is why the conciliation stage is as vitally important as what it is we are of course taking questions and comments from our viewers at home um zelinda we've got one here from stephanie whitboy who asks i was wondering what happens if you fail to pay your levies can you actually lose your property 
Also, if you purchase an apartment, should you ensure that the levies are up to date or the expenses fall on you after the OTP has been signed? Quite interesting. So I'll deal with the second part of the question first. The only time you as a purchaser will be responsible for any outstanding levies and charges is if you buy the property on sale and execution. And then you'd be responsible for outstanding rates, you'd be responsible for outstanding levies. Uh, but if you're buying it in private treaty, then you wouldn't be responsible for that. The only thing you would be responsible for is any outstanding amount or an amount yet to be accrued of a special levy. Under the Sectional Titles Act, when you sold your unit, you had to pay the full special levy, even if it was still going to be paid over an installment period. Now, under the Sectional Title Schemes Management Act, you as a seller only pay your pro rata uh, portion, and obviously the purchaser pays the remainder. For example, had you been raised over six months and you sold your unit three months, you know, that would be, would, would be divvied up accordingly. You can very possibly lose your, your, your units in a Sectional Title Scheme or your earth in a homeowners association if you don't pay your levies. It's not something that happens overnight. Uh, it's quite a long process. It is a process that the community scheme on good service can deal with. They can even attach uh, the rental that your tenant pays for the um, apartment or for the home um, as payment towards the levy. So they do have quite far-reaching powers in that regard. But generally speaking, most levy collection matters still happen through courts magistrates, courts, or high courts, depending on the quantum of the levies outstanding, which is why it's so vitally important for managing agents, for trustees, directors, to keep an eye on those levies, to make sure that the proceedings that can be instituted are done so as quickly as possible to ensure the body corporate HA is not out of pocket with too much money too quickly. Now, the process is quite a lengthy one. It starts off with a final demand, uh, summons, uh, you know, default judgment, warrants of executions, all that fun stuff. But if an owner is not going to make any type of arrangement, any type of settlement, not going to, you know, raise legitimate um, arguments or defenses to the raising of levies, you know, perhaps there wasn't a proper AGM or a proper budget passed or a trustee resolution or a special levy was invalid. You know, if you don't have any of those arguments and you simply don't pay, um, your property will be attached and the property will be sold on auction um, and the purchaser will have to pay any outstanding levies before the body corporate will issue a clearance, a levy clearance certificate or the HAA will issue a clearance. So yes, it is very possible to lose your home, uh, but the process is not a quick one and a decision like that is not taken very easily, um, but it definitely can happen. Last question for this evening, Zelinda, comes from Malebu Magahane, who asks, does the home insurance that's included in levies for sectional titles cover the payment of the house if something were to happen to you? So unfortunately not. Um, I'm assuming the, the, the member of audience is speaking about almost life insurance that you would get for uh, the, the bond payment, for example. So the insurance that you that you contribute to as part of your levy in a body corporate doesn't cover that. It also doesn't cover contents of your units. I like to explain it if you had to take a building take the roof off, turn it upside down and shake it around. Anything that falls out is your responsibility as an owner. Anything that remains, fittings and fixtures, the walls, floors, ceilings, roof, windows, doors, that forms part of the body corporate insurance that you contribute to as part of your levy according to your participation quota. If the bank, for example, needs additional premium, if you've got gold-plated taps and marble countertops and all that fun stuff, if you've done improvements, alterations, renovations, added to, extended your section, that additional um, cover would need to be paid above and beyond your levy contribution by you directly as the owner as it's not a body corporate expense. Uh, things that are covered in terms of the body corporate insurance is if 
you know, your geyser had to burst or um, you had to experience resultant damage from the units above that ran uh, their bath all night and the bath water ran over into your unit or somebody's shower floor was leaking and damaged your unit. That is the type of thing that you would have a claim for, um, but not in the event of your um, unfortunate passing if your bond has not been paid. That is something that you would need to sort yourself uh, with, uh, with life insurance. Zulinda, we're going to leave it there this evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And that is Zulinda van Amargo, who's the co-founder and director of TVDM Consultants. We're going to go for a quick break. When we come back, it's, of course, that time of the evening where we give away that 5,000 Rand cash price. You do not want to miss this one. We'll be back just after this. Welcome back to episode 54 of the Private Property Podcast. I'm your host, Uzamantungwa Kumalo. It is, of course, that time of the evening where we're giving away that 5,000 Rand price. Remember that for the next few episodes, we'll be giving away this 5,000 Rand price at the end of each episode uh, on our, of course, lucky draw. And these are the three simple rules for this draw. Firstly, the competition is open to people who entered the 100,000 Rand competition and only them. This, of course, also includes estate agents as they are not uh, employees of private property. Secondly, one winner is going to be randomly selected at the end of each episode, and the winner will be announced right here live on air. And that last one, the private property team will be contacting the lucky winner after the show within 24 hours of the show to verify their details. And you're not required to say, you know, the phrase that pays or anything of that sort when we verify your details. And in the event that we are unable to reach you, then the prize money will roll over to the following day. So we really do ask that when we give you that call, you pick up and you share your details with us so we can verify them. But without, without any more delay, we're ready to, to start with our picker. Of course, we have nearly 50,000 names that are that entered this so it's just just over 40,000 names that entered this particular competition and the lucky winner will come up just shortly and you know what I always enjoy giving away money and I always say I can't wait until we're able to give away a house which I'm sure is going to be bigger you know more fun uh the stakes are obviously higher the moment it's a house 
And we're now ready to see who this evening's winner is going to be. And that winner is Rudy Defenter. That is Rudy Defenter. You walk away that, with that 5,000 Rand prize. Congratulations. The private property team will be reaching out to you to verify your details before giving you that 5,000 Rand prize. Well, congratulations to all our winners. It's been a week a full week of giving away 5,000 Rand prizes. So that's literally, what, 25,000 Rand that we've been able to give away. I'm sure that many of you are holding your thumbs, crossing your fingers to make sure that, or wishing rather, that you're going to walk away with that prize next week. We still be giving away that money next week. If you want to even up your odds, then do enter the competition that we're running. And the two winners are going to be announced next week, Friday. And that, of course, is where we're asking you what your property dreams, ambitions, and aspirations are. Share with us what they are and you stand a chance of walking away with that amount. Well, it is, of course, the weekend, if it means anything. I know a lot of us are going to club couch uh, or maybe club bedroom and spending most of our weekend there. It's a cold front in Joburg, so I do hope that you're also keeping warm. We'll be back, of course, on Monday right here on the Private Property Podcast. But over the weekend, we haven't forgotten you. You get to watch the developers show where you get to you know, see some of the best uh, you know, uh, properties that different estates and complexes have on offer. Do not want to miss that one. It's one o'clock both on Saturday and Sunday with Umandisa. So do tune in. We're back again on Monday. I hope that you'll be staying home and staying safe. And I will see you right here at seven o'clock on Monday. Hi, I'm Nicolene Kadlach and I'm part of the SA Women's Hockey Team. And I'm the technical director of Tax Hockey. And I'm also the assistant coach for the first two minutes. I moved to Ferry Glen about five years ago. Ferry Glen is a really safe place and the people are really kind. Some of my friends live really close by in suburbs like Equestria and Olympus. morning I will wake up, make myself a cup of coffee, go for a jog in the Ferry Glen Nature Reserve or even just in the neighborhood. It's safe, quiet and the environment is really nice.